Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here. I told you the, the episodes were going to be Fast and Furious in April. And uh, already we're back with a brand new episode uh, featuring Jim Zub. Jim is wrapping up his run on Thunderbolts. It's been a lot of fun and uh, ties obviously very heavily into the coming Secret Empire. Uh, the Winter Soldier, Bucky Barnes, uh, has a special point of view given that he has been uh, uh, supervising uh, Kobik ever since uh, Avengers standoff. i got to remember my events. They all come so fast, as we all know, which sometimes can be infuriating, but I liked Avengers standoff, and I certainly like the March to Se- Secret Empire. And, uh, man, issue 11 was so fun because this was uh, Bucky Barnes's rewritten history as we've seen uh, with Steve Rogers in the pages of Steve Rogers' Captain America. And uh, the uh, the 12th and final Thunderbolts episode issue comes out today. And, uh, you know, this is a good way to, I think, maybe uh, listen to what Jim has to say, teasing uh, this coming uh, issue. And then uh, Jim's about to start an Avengers run. And we talk about that as well. Uh, lots of issues come up in this conversation, and Jim is one of those, uh, I think, self-starter creators that, uh, along with his uh, work at Marvel, has been doing wonderful work in the uh, creator-owned realm. We talk about his books, Wayward and Glitter Bomb. We really get into Glitter Bomb because uh, I think uh, that in particular is uh, a really, really uh, cool, uh, different book. It you know it speaks to me a little bit more than Wayward speaks to me, although Wayward, hey man, awesome book. Lots of respect. I think uh, it, it does a wonderful job of uh, uh, exploring the Japanese culture and myths. But uh, Glitter Bomb is just this very fresh, uh, relevant, I think, horror story where you can appreciate where uh, the subtext is coming from. And uh, it's a pleasure to talk about that. And I think you could tell because as we talk about it, um, I get more excited about the premise of Glitter Bomb and what uh, Jim is doing with it. Really interesting conversation with Jim Zub, and as I've said, I think I've been on a very fortunate roll with uh, all the interesting uh, uh, interviews that I've had lately on Word Balloon Conversations, and I think uh, this is no exception. Jim Zub on today's Word Balloon, brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you, League, for your wonderful support uh, through Patreon. If uh, you can uh, spare it and think Word Balloon is worth, uh, you know, more than just listening to it and you really want to support Word Balloon and help me out, uh, you can uh, do that by going to wordballoon.com. There's an ad for Patreon right there on the front page. It will uh, take you to my Patreon page, or you can go to patreon.com slash wordballoon. Thank you again, League of Word Balloon listeners, for your help through your subscriptions. Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. Uh, there are some great trades that popped up this week at InStockTrades.com, and I'm going to start with uh, Chelsea Kane. Uh, doing an incredible job along with um, her uh, art team on uh, Mockingbird. Volume 2, My Feminist Agenda. Uh, this was a very uh, controversial and I think uh, a very strong uh, statement from uh, 
Ms. Kane and company and Mark Mockingbird. I'm sorry the book didn't last, but I do think that Mockingbird is going to be one of those things, kind of like Next Wave and some of the other uh, classic uh, far too uh, short runs. But uh, I think people will be coming back to this book because it really was a great spin on Mockingbird and her point of view on the Marvel Universe. It's 45% off. It's just $8.79. You can also get Scarlet Witch, uh, Volume 3, Final Hex. James Robinson, uh, along with uh, lots of great artists, and uh, this is an, an, another great run, uh, Scarlet Witch from uh, issue 11 to 15. It's uh, 45% off, again, $8.79. We're giving you the uh, reasonably priced books. Jendi Tartakovsky uh, did an incredible job with his uh, miniseries on Luke Cage. It's just called Cage, with an exclamation point, and uh, that book is 50% off. It's just $7.49. Man, we're giving you a lot of mainstream stuff. How about Revival? Uh, just stay, stay just a little bit longer. Volume 8. Tim Seeley, Mike Norton, my buddies. Uh, great run at Image Comics. Uh, they are, uh, they've got a big announcement re- regarding Revival coming up at C2E2. I think you can do the math and figure out what that might be about. But uh, jump on the Revival bandwagon. This is uh, the last... Uh, is this the last bit? No, I think this is the second to last bit. Excuse me. Uh, issue, issues 42 to 47. Uh, 42% off, $8.69. You can get Briggsland, Volume 1, State of Grace, Brian Wood, Lee Lowridge, uh, Mac Mac Chatter. I just want to make sure I say his name properly. Uh, 45% off, it's just $10.99. There you go. Just a few of the great books that are available this week at InStockTrades.com. But that's not all. If you do your search, I'm sure you'll find great books at great prices at InStockTrades.com. All right, let's get into our conversation with Jim Zub. Uh, we cover a lot of ground. I think uh, some very interesting stuff. We start with Thunderbolts and uh, the fact that he is uh, moving on to uh, Uncanny Avengers. But uh, it's great to hear, too, about uh, Wayward and especially Glitter Bomb, which uh, pops up really near the end of the conversation. And uh, really, the more I hear about it, the more I think about Glitter Bomb, I really think it's such a standout book and deserves your attention. But all of Jim Zub's stuff does. He's a hell of a writer. Let's talk to Jim Zub now on Word Balloon. We've been meaning to have this conversation for like at least six months, if not longer. So I'm glad to finally get Jim Zub back on Word Balloon. Uh, you got things going on at, at Marvel with Thunderbolts, and uh, you shocked the hell out of us, I think, with uh, <laughs> la- last week's issue. But welcome back, man. Well, thank you for having me. I actually I had to check because I was all curious. I'm like, I think it's been a while, and it's like literally later this month. It would be two years. There you go. Yeah, I since know. we've chatted. So uh, yeah, you know, honestly, man, it's and and well, you know, I know we were t- talking about hopefully trying to do some sort of group thing with a few other creators, mm-hmm. and uh, I think we were we were hoping to do it around uh, New York Con uh, last year and stuff. And it right, just, it just didn't work out, unfortunately. It's like herding cats. It just uh, yeah, everyone's really busy, which is sort of good. It's a you oh, know, yeah. it's a good time right now. Uh, a, a lot of the people that I know in this business, everyone seems to be. Very busy, which is which is a good problem to have. Absolutely, so. no, definitely, and I do want to talk because we we did that before, but it's always get, good to get your point of view of where things are market wise and stuff. Yeah, but um, you know, I talked to Nick Spencer a couple of weeks ago about Secret Empire. And I I listened to that podcast actually. Oh, thanks, man. Excellent. I quite enjoyed it. I, I thought was going to say uh, he didn't say if really he liked good. it or not, so he did just. Say, <laughs> after I said no, no, I thought it was great. <laughs> it, you know, it's always fascinating because. When you're on now, I'm on both sides of that whole thing. So I'm always kind of curious what you know what what gets said publicly, and then what's 
kind of happening, you know, all the planning and stuff that's going on behind the scenes now. It's uh, it's fascinating. I'm I'm having a blast though, uh, doing work at Marvel. It's yeah, been t- great. Tell tell me what you can about being involved in this in this story because it it's a Captain America story, but obviously it does involve Zemo and the and, uh, and the Thunderbolts and. Right. Uh, Bucky and you know I, I like calling him Bucky and everyone else is Winter Soldier. It's like come on, he's Bucky, man. <laughs> come on, we love. Well, Bucky. I, I, I use it pretty interchangeably, honestly, oh, uh, in both my scripts and in the in the the book itself. I think that you know it's all part and parcel. I like having multiple names for characters. It's like you know it went back in the the classic Marvel days. Every character had nicknames and their first names, and I think it, it, it breeds a little bit of familiarity that not everyone is necessarily calling each other the same thing. John Byrne or, or disagree. What's that? I don't know if you knew that. John Byrne would disagree. He's like, hey, <laughs> quit being informal with these guys. I don't like when people call them soups and bats and stuff. It's like, yeah, get over it, man. Well, I, I mean, his name <laughs> is Bucky. I, you know, his case yes. was whatever his Bucky code Barnes, come on yeah. man no on. and and really well first tell me about like getting involved in secret empire was this offered sure. to you in terms of opportunity i mean how did it work out in terms of you know you um, doing a, it was a, you know parallel story that that is really you know important if you want to get the picture the full picture of what's going on yeah i mean it's been fascinating because um i was brought in for thunderbolts you know uh uh, just over a year ago. Mm-hmm. And and the reality is, is that, uh, you know, I had been sort of circling around a couple other potential Marvel things. I mean, I'd done other stuff at Marvel. I did the Figment book and I've done stuff for what's called uh, Marvel Special Projects, which is like kind of the advertising division where it's sort of catch all uh, yeah, like, special project stuff. Or, like, yeah, like the Dental Association wants to tie into Marvel and have like something in dental offices. Yeah, and I know that sounds really dorky, but honestly, there's a lot of variety to it, and it's a good place to kind of cut your teeth and get used to, you know, what's required. And you get the voices of the characters, and you just get a, you know, little projects where you hit your marks and you sort of show them what you can do. Sure. Um, and so I did all sorts of stuff, and I've still done a few of them, even lately. Uh, I guess they announced uh, last week or the week before – Post Serial is doing some sort of a, a comic insert for Spider-Man Homecoming. Oh, awesome. And I, I wrote that. And it's oh, just hilarious. like, yeah, they're, they're probably going to print like a million of them. That's kind of cool. You That's know? really like, cool. Yeah, I'm totally down with writing some Spider-Man that every kid's going to read, you know, after they have some uh, awesome serial. Who's, so, who's, who's drawing it, if I may? I actually don't know. Okay. Uh, so that was one of those things where they, you know, they just needed the script front loaded because with the movie stuff, they need to go through a hundred different layers of approvals. Sure, so, sure. you know, they just wanted to get that story done as early as possible. So is, I wrote that quite a while ago. Is but. it a, is it a prelude to the, the movie or it's like, not, it's, it's very much a little self-contained kind of fun adventure Okay, and just, you know, just, just real, uh, easy kind of impact, uh, you know, Peter Parker having fun and, you know, getting himself in a little bit of a, a, a jam and, and it's a two parter with a little cliffhanger in the middle and that's it. You know, it's just like a fun, Real easy. If you've never read Spider-Man before, if you're some kid and you're just like, this is cool and I want to see this movie or if you like Spider-Man, it's I wouldn't say it's like electric company kind of stuff. There's a it's a little bit you know more action packed than that. Cool. But it's very much, you know, done in one kind of fun stuff. And, and it was great, you know, just to, to jump around with the characters or whatever. Is it a but, mini, will it be a mini comic, obviously, for the box size and everything? I believe so. That's I believe great. Those are yeah. fun, man. I mean, oh, please. And, you know, we're old enough to appreciate the, you know, get, well, that kind of gimmick and everything. Let's yeah. get more comic readers any way well, we can. Yes, definitely. Right? No question. And so, 
any, anyway, like I was doing a bunch of stuff with Marvel special projects. And so I had good, you know, relationships with all the guys over there. And we were talking about, you know, sort of moving over to, to other things in the, the, the Marvel universe. And, um, a couple other things sort of circled around and, and didn't come about. And then, um, Tom Brevoort and I had been in touch multiple times and I just reached out to him again around Christmas time and said, you know, my, my schedule is opening up. I'd finished a bunch of different things and sort of coming to the end on some other projects. Let me know if you got anything. And he's like, I think you'd be a good fit for Thunderbolts. Uh, you know, can you turn around a pitch pretty quick? And they gave me the overall premise. And the only thing they told me was that there's this uh, new character who's this young girl um, you know, who has cosmic power, essentially. That's what they originally told me about her. Um, at that point in time, I don't think even, uh, um, I'm trying to think, Avengers Standoff had come out yet, or it was okay. just coming out. And so I didn't know who Kobik was. I didn't know any of the other stuff. And so I just incorporated that into my pitch, you know, how she would uh, sort of treat the rest of the team and, and Bucky and everything else. And they liked my overall take on it. And they liked my sort of dynamic with the characters and the ways that I was kind of the, the fun little scenarios I put into that pitch and the potential for it. And then they said, great, we really you know love this. We think you're the right fit. And then they said, Nick's going to get on a call with you and tell you some stuff. <laughs> and so I get on this Skype call with him and and he makes it like the preamble was really kind of scary because he was like, OK, I need to tell you some things. <laughs> and like no one knows this stuff like like no one knows this stuff. There are people at Marvel who don't know this yet because they don't need to know. But you need to know because it's going to tie directly into your book and it's a big deal and I'm nervously excited and we're doing this big thing and I'm just like, okay, let me know what it is. He goes, no, I need you to know, like, if this gets out early, I'm going to be like your mud. Like I said, you know, and I'm like, okay, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm hyped for it. I won't tell you. I won't tell my wife, but just tell me what's going on, you know? And then he, he lets me know about all the stuff coming up with, with Steve and, uh, the, in, you know, the intense storyline that they've got planned and, and some of the amazing revelations, some of which still haven't, you know, fully been uh, revealed to people. Sure. And I'm obviously my mind was blown. <laughs> I was just like, oh, man, this is going to rock people's minds. They're not going to believe it. This is going to be something else. And so we sort of moved forward right from the get go. The Thunderbolts book um, had to be its own beast, like it had to exist on its own merits and be sure. a valid story, but would always sort of in the background, there was this thought process of, OK, you know, what can we do to echo or exemplify uh, some of the stuff that's going to come out in in Secret Empire, you know, sure. and that Kobik making her as rich and endearing as possible because that will make the revelation that much more kind of creepy and off-putting and, and awkward. Cause you're like, Oh, I like this character. Oh no, <laughs> what has happened? You know? And, uh, this kind of stuff. So that was a lot of fun. And, and it was really important to me that she not come across just like, you know, the scrappy do like the, the obnoxious little <laughs> sidekick, you know, kind of well character. played. Absolutely. Yeah. And, no and one so likes I, Scrappy do it. If you well, do, what's I, wrong with you? I was just like, you know, I, I got to make this. She has to be genuinely uh, heartwarming and engaging and, and feel like a real kid than sort of a bad um, put on of a kid, if you will. Sure. sure. It, so, so that was really important to me. And uh, making it, again, make the book work with the cast 
exemplify some of the stuff that I think the Thunderbolts have done so well over the years, but not so it was weird because we wanted to do a classic kind of lineup, and eventually we got almost the entire lineup except for Zemo, who's now back in the mix with yeah. the, the anniversary issue. But um, so we did have a sense of nostalgia tying into it, but I didn't want it to be navel gazing. I didn't want to just be looking into the past and trying to recreate past glories. I'm like we, you know. We have to be trying to say something that this nostalgia is for a purpose, that this lineup is here for a reason, and that you know, in some ways, parts of the story are very much about you can't go back to who you were. You, just because we assemble this old team doesn't make them the old team, mm-hmm. uh, and that that's that's part of the the whole story as well. You know, so it was a ton of fun. It's a ton of fun. They're a great cast of characters. Uh, the interactions with them are a hoot and just the missions we were able to take them on. And it's sort of the strange, um, when you're working with big iconic characters, you know, it's a lot harder to make big changes, obviously, uh, you know, but here we're able to really kind of push and pull these characters in all sorts of fun directions and, and look at sort of where they've gone and go, okay, what's the next evolution for someone like Moonstone or, or the fixer. And I think that people love these characters because, they don't stay static. They're not just the same every time that they keep growing and screwing up and changing and trying to figure themselves out. And that made it a lot of fun to, to work with this sort of team of misfits that, you know, tries to be heroic, but doesn't know even how, or even if they want to be, uh, I think that there's something really fun about that, that they're these flawed kind of broken, uh, characters who keep getting pulled into each other's gravity. Well, (laughs) No, definitely, and uh, as you say, uh, I think Kobik's, uh, you know, yeah, she's got that kind of um, 70s, like, The Omen, and It's Alive, <laughs> where it's the, or Anthony in the cornfield with the, the Twilight Zone episode, Billy Mummy's uh, character. Yeah, it's like, you got it, you know, you, you I didn't want her to be horrifying, because she doesn't know she's right. doing something wrong, it's just her priorities, you know, she doesn't know what that that's bad, you know, that she's done something really wrong or that she's, you know, and Bucky very much looks at it and he empathizes it instantly because he's been used by the powers that be. Yes. So something like shield, when they were trying to use her manipulator to, with pleasant Hill, they're sort of like, you know, they just look at the power and she was their way of accessing that power. Mm -hmm. And he's like, no, you're not a weapon. You're a person. You have, you know, a personality and feelings and a soul as far as he's concerned. So you, you deserve to be protected and you you shouldn't be manipulated by these people or turn into a weapon. And that's his sort of blind spot. You know, the fact that he wasn't, he he knew she was dangerous. He wasn't a fool in that way, but that he couldn't have possibly, how could he have imagined, you know, how deep the rabbit hole went in terms of how she's been used or that the skull had access to her or any of that stuff. So it was fun because if you were reading, you know, uh, Sam Wilson and Steve Rogers and Thunderbolts, you were getting this really cool interplay between the three books. Mm -hmm. But if you're reading any one of them, you're still getting a valid story. And I think that was uh, really exciting and, and, and fun to play with. And, and Nick was great in that sandbox. Like he gave me some really cool moments and, and revelations to play with and, you know, little bits we would sort of ricochet off each other and kind of go, okay, how can we maximize the potential of this? I mean, that's that's why you want to have a shared continuity and a shared Marvel universe so that we can make better stories together rather than, I don't know, 
rubbed the wrong way. That's the way I feel about it. And which uh, which Avengers book is also kind of dovetailing into this as well? Well, so I've taken over Uncanny Avengers. Um, okay. From, from Jerry Duggan. And so Uncanny Avengers, uh, because Steve formed the Unity Squad, and uh, he tried to disband them once the, the Hydra turn sort of happened, he found a way to sort of tell the team, okay, you know, I'm done with you guys. They had betrayed him in a way during Civil War II, so he was sort of justified, but he also didn't want them in his way anyways. And so it kind of worked out for him. But the team has stuck together because they have shared purpose and other sort of personal goals. And so they're like a non-team team, which, you know, like the Thunderbolt sort of works well in that they've got an alternate kind of team dynamic. They're not just... You know, they don't have an Avengers charter. They're not following some government mandate or, or any formality. They're just sort of like been pulled together out of shared uh, emotional purpose, if anything. And, I, and so Jerry's ahead. moved on to Guardians yes. of the Galaxy. And then I took over uh, Uncanny Avengers. So who is your lineup in Uncanny Avengers? Well, so uh, <laughs> during Secret Empire, uh, what's been sort of shown so far on the first cover that I can talk about is um, uh, pretty much the same team that that Jerry left off with for the most part. So who's on there is there's Rogue, uh, there's Synapse, there's uh, Dr. Voodoo, uh, Janet Van Dyne, the Wasp, and Johnny Storm, the Human Torch. And um, uh, Quicksilver's in the mix, too, and he's currently part of the team as well. So uh, that's all I can really say. Uh, But we are going to be – there is additions to the lineup coming, and there's other things out of Secret Empire that will spin into it in really fun ways. Understood. No, and I – yeah, and I realize that, that, yeah, we're, you know, right right before the event's going to kick in. So Yeah. um, Well, and that's why I want to focus, too, on on, uh, the, the latest Thunderbolts. Mm-hmm. Uh, issue 11. <laughs> yeah, we caused some trouble. <laughs> that was awesome. And frankly, Thanks. I'm really glad you, uh, you you tweeted and said, man, look at this. Everyone's spoiling uh, my new book and everything. I saw you say that on Twitter. Right. I'm like, well, I better grab Thunderbolts today. And- nice. Well, you know, the, the controversy, <laughs> right? It's, it's frustrating in some ways because you want people to come to it fresh. And I know that there's a certain amount of people who are like, well, it moved, you know, if that got them off their butts to go check it out, because apparently it's a real shocker, then okay, in the grand scheme of things, that's good. Uh, But yeah, it could be a little bit frustrating when you've been keeping secrets for a long time. And it's like the day of release and two hours before the comic book store opens, three different websites have posted, you know, uh, overview articles about it. And I'm just like, really? Jeez, guys. Well, I'm glad you said something because I, I I stayed away from the websites until I got my books and until I read them and everything. And, yeah, uh, yeah, man, it's no, it's great. And honestly, first of all, I love that cover because I mean, obviously, it's the classic moment that everybody yeah. remembers. And I even uh, remember when uh, J.M. Uh, Dematis uh, did leading up to I want to say Cap 300. Mm-hmm. He had this great story where the Red Skull. Uh, put uh, Steve in a virtual reality situation and he was reliving uh, Zemo's drone and Bucky. Oh, that's right too. Yeah. I actually remember that. Oh, and it really, it's, and it's great because it literally said, you know, today Steve Rogers faces, you know, the darkest day of his life. Right. And it's like every, you know, and if you're hip to cap and everything, it's like, oh my God, it's, you know, I mean, this is the moment. And I always just, that was like the best thing about uh, cap coming back 
and being revived was the loss of Bucky. And, and sure. that, you know, that I mean, it really, yeah, so powerful and everything. And I remember in that one, it was great because he got to, they got to reverse things and he got to save Bucky. And it's, right. yeah, I remember it ended, I think Mike Zek was the artist. Great shocked look on Bucky's face and, and Steve just happiest on He's like, I finally saved you. And I mean, and it just, you know, it was great. And, and the skull's like, great. All right. I've taken away your greatest regret. Now you're ready to fight me. And it was like, okay. And that was like, oh, my God. And much in the same way, this is Bucky's crazy virtual reality moment. Although, you know, uh, Kobik is is giving the choice of either uh, Kobik or Kopik, excuse me. Kobik. Kobik, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it's almost like, hey, choose your choose your reality, choose your adventure, Bucky. What do you want to do? <laughs> yeah, and do what's funny is, is that wasn't in the original plan for leading up to Secret Empire. That was actually something that I had um, in my original pitch for the series. One of the things I said is, if there's this cosmic girl, uh, you know, and and she can tempt Bucky and sort of say, hey, if you have regrets, I can fix them or something. And he'll turn them down. He'll turn them down. And then I said, you know, at a moment of weakness, he finally gives in or something happens that makes it happen. So now he's in the past and has to, you know, decide what his future uh, is all about. And so we weren't necessarily sure when this plot line was going to happen. It was something that we were just sort of keeping in our pocket. Like, OK, this is something I want to do and I want to make sure that he's tempted and we can sort of build up to this some, at some point in the series. And then as things were sort of percolating and we were looking at the, the schedule and, you know, Secret Empires lining up and the big anniversaries lining up, the 20th anniversary of the Thunderbolts, I'm like, well, we got to pull the trigger. This is too good. There's too many good things all coming into focus at the same time. It, you know, I think that we can really forge this into something that's bigger than the sum of its parts. And so I, I brought it up again. I said, OK, you know, I really want Kovic to to send uh you know james back to uh you know to world war ii and then nick is like well you know in in the steve book i'm doing this this other world war ii you know that 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 is built off of uh you know what's happened to steve and i was like great i'll use that we'll bring it all together like it all works sure and again it's that thing of just good synchronicity and good teamwork where we're all able to build something better together because of you know good shared purpose and we're all there to tell the best dramatic story that we can and i i'm really proud of it i think it turned out great you know people had a lot of fun with it i got to dig through all these you know old issues and and find some funky reference of zemo's old androids and just kooky stuff that we could you know (laughs) use in there uh from the old books along with you know stuff that that nick's been putting into uh the the steve rogers book and so it's just yeah it's nice it's uh you know, I think it, it makes for a really strong uh, middle chapter of this three-part Return of the Masters uh, thing that we're doing, mm-hmm. and it's and it it's a really good lead-in to the drama and stuff that that uh, is lining up for Secret Empire. So, yeah, it's exciting, and and the response that we've had from readers, uh, you know, fans of the Thunderbolts and fans of the Winter Soldier and everything else, it's been very gratifying, you know, to to know that. I get to, yeah, sort of play in the sandbox and kind of prove myself and show that I can work with with the you know the Marvel superheroes and and do right by them. So, you know, it, it, as always, you want to create dramatic tension and and throw people curveballs and, but after they read it, ideally they go, yeah, okay, I didn't see that coming, but now that I've read it, that's the way it should have gone. That's know? awesome. 
And I uh, yeah. really am looking forward to issue 12 because not only the conclusion of the story, but also now Helmut Zemo in this new mm-hmm. weird position of being Steve's best friend. And I, I just I, I've loved what Nick has laid out and, and his uh, passionate plea to Helmut to trust me. And, oh, yeah. You know, and and it's it's great because he really tore Helmut Zemo down to to, a, you know, this buffoon kind of person as coming out of uh Avengers standoff and everything mm-hmm. and uh yeah and I just uh, this is this is really exciting to now see him fuck with Bucky. <laughs> yeah, I was I was writing, you know, writing that issue 10 uh where Zemo comes back and he's just it's funny cuz he's got this you know, he has a a, a warmth for the Thunderbolts, sure. but he won't let them defy him. Like they have defied him too many times before and it's like, look, we have this incredible opportunity and we're going to take this cosmic power and you know, he's not going to let them know the full machinations, but essentially you can, you can ride my coattails to glory. This is your chance, but don't defy me. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) this is bigger than you think. This is more than you could ever possibly imagine, but I'm only doing this out of our, our past shared together, you know, do or die. And, uh, you know, also I have to kill Bucky because look at him. He's tried to steal you guys from me and he's the worst person ever. So (laughs) it's fun. It's like uh, and and his bravado and his ability to, you know, Zemo doesn't really have like superpowers. Right. So it's it's just like his machinations are are like the power of of personality. Like he will just uh, really make you come around to his way of thinking because because look at him. He's got it all figured out. You know, that's sort of his 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 secret power, if you will. And I love that. I love being able to. to write that kind of bravado, you know, speeches and the, and the, the fun payoffs that are still yet to come. Uh, I think people are going to be hopefully, you know, just, just engaged and surprised and, and, uh, you know, we're putting the heroes on the ropes in a, in an exciting way. I think that's as much as people say they, you know, they don't want you to hurt their favorite characters. You know, that's, that's the source of drama, right? Absolutely. Dan, Dan was doing Superior Spider-Man and everyone was spitting fire and I loved it. I loved every bit of it. I Me thought too, it was man. just so good. And and people would just get so angry and I thought, you know what? Like these stories, the the way we create drama is by testing you know, the resolve and the purpose and the core of these characters. Yes. Like great power comes great responsibility for Spider-Man. Well, how do we show that? Well, we put someone in literally the exact same role as Spider-Man because he is in Peter Parker's body. And then we show that without that responsibility, the power goes awry, you know, and that, and that as much as the, the irony of the superior Spider-Man as his title, that he is not the superior Spider-Man, that he cannot be (laughs) because he does not understand what it truly is to be Spider-Man, not until sort of the very end. Right. And I think that that's, why it's such a great story. And as much as people were, were spitting fire and losing their minds because they couldn't anticipate what happened next because they, it felt so shocking and, and beyond the pale. And it's like some of the biggest Marvel storylines of all time have been those stories. You can't do that. You, that's the, you, you know, you're shaking this person too far. You've gone too far. And you're like, Oh, you know, we shouldn't have killed Phoenix. We shouldn't have, uh, you know, re, re, uh, uh, had better Ray Bill take the hammer. You shouldn't have, you know, any of those things. Absolutely. They're all, they all seem in that moment like they're um, 
uh, a bridge too far. And I, and I feel like I'm not saying that that makes them all great stories, that that's the only source of great stories, because I don't think it is. But I think that there's definitely a commonality to some of the some of those big ones. And that's not to say that, you know, uh, um, I don't know how people will respond to Secret Empire when it's all said and done. I don't know how people will see respond to uh, this run on Thunderbolts when we look at it in the rearview mirror. But I'd, I'd like to hope that people understand that we want to build compelling stories and, and surprise you and, you know, put these characters through the ringer so we can show you why they're heroes. You know Agreed. what I mean? Absolutely, man. No, and I – and. You're right, and I mean that's the it's uh, the the instinct is no we you know we want a nice safe Captain America story but it's like no you don't come on man it's like well it, and, and it what tests, are, what like the you sales, said it tests the metal the of the sales on a what are the sales on a safe repetitive you know yeah run on a character you know X Men is at its best when the characters are getting just manipulated mauled and you know the soap opera right you get it, it, like people hated Winter Soldier when it was coming out most people don't remember that. Baker and everyone was getting just raked over the coals. The the you know the fan mail. Everyone was losing their minds because this was the ultimate insult. You can't bring Bucky back. You can't do it. It's the worst thing. And and now it's part. It's so deeply ingrained into the canon, and especially with the cinematic universe, it's turned it into like a seminal storyline. It is it built into the DNA of who Steve Rogers is and his story. And it's like, okay, I'm not saying necessarily that will be the case here, but it could be, you know, if it's done well, if if Nick can stick the landing, then I hope that, you know, it's remembered fondly. I hear you, man. And no, and it, and if there is one person uh, that, uh, you know, has the, you know, it, both the, the mental ability to kind of face this kind of problem and also the skill – it is Bucky, and I and that's great, and it is good that he is back because I mean, you know, I suppose Sam could do it too, but I don't know. There really is something to the core of Bucky being there, really, from day one. The regret has changed from "I let Bucky die" to "Oh my God, I let Bucky get you know influenced by the Soviets and and become oh, this killing yeah. machine." And that was so great, and I you know I had these conversations with Ed as it was going on. I mean, you know, it's funny because, and I I I laugh at the. Oh, please, just let him kiss and be done with it. And it's like, no, man, come on. This is – I'm sorry that people that, – that some people don't get. It's like, no, these are like brother best friends that, well, you know, it's that kind of regret. And it's I, honestly, kind of, you know. I honestly don't – we got a lot of um, – <laughs> once I took over Thunderbolts with, with Bucky there, you know, that's the book where he was showing up every month. Mm-hmm. And so we, we had a lot of Stucky fans, as they call them. <laughs> You know, we did. Stucky. Yeah, Stucky. Awesome. Yeah, Steve and Bucky. And we had a lot of them reach out <laughs> and be very passionate and send us letters and, and explain why they wanted this this pairing. And it's like, you know what? Um, I'm not going to promise you that that's going to happen in the books, but I'm sure not going to insult you either, because I think that your fandom and your excitement for these characters, your passion is what makes the Marvel Universe so special. I mean that. I mean that in every way, shape, I, and form. Well, I, that, I, I, that people... I'm not making fun of them, but I, go on, sure. and then I'll go ahead. But but that's the thing, right? Like people, whatever. They're I don't care. They're doing fan art. They're doing fan fiction. Oh, no, as, as long as as long as you're not like honestly, genuinely angry at me that I'm not able to do this, you know, like in in whatever you want to call it, in canon. That you know, as long as you understand that, I, like, this is not necessarily something that i can make snap my fingers and and turn this into a thing 
then then I have total respect for you as a fan that you want or that you, you know, it, whatever pairing. When people were reading the X-Men back in the days and they want certain people, they want Colossus to stay together with Peter or, you know, like whatever. There's Colossus. I have Colossus with to Kitty. stay with Kitty. Yeah. You know, what, what, whatever. Like I, that's totally valid. You're a fan. You have – uh, a love for these characters and you want it to go a certain way. And, you know, the drama is formed by things not always going the way that you would like, but, but equally, I think it's like passionate people engaging the Marvel universe is what's brought it so far. Right. And, you know, whether it's people that, that love, you know, Gwen Stacy and wish she had never died or the marriage had never been, you know, wiped away or whatever it may have you. I, I'm better that people are passionate and excited about these sure. stories Agreed. than ignoring it. You no, know? Oh, absolutely. No, I agree with that. And I don't know, man. I, I guess because to me, slash fiction, where I think some of this stuff started and everything, I, I think it's great. I think it's fun. I think uh, from a fan fiction standpoint, I guess maybe I'm just old fashioned. And it's not that I'm against gay relationships. Sure. It's just that, like I said, to me, it almost is like because and, and it's only certain people. That sure. do get really pointed and do kind of demand it, and and it's well, like, and and I and know, I think as like, long as right. again, yeah, as long as we can keep it in the proper context, right? right? Like just just understand, you know, I've got a job, and I'm in in some small way, I'm representing a part of a multi billion dollar franchise of characters, mm-hmm. and that this kind of major change doesn't just happen because it would be nice if I did that. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, there's a lot more going on here than just, you know, especially something like that. And it's like, okay, but that doesn't, I'm certainly not, uh, talking down on it or displeased with your excitement about these characters. And I will promise you all kinds of drama and I will promise you all kinds of poignant moments between these characters. And that's one of the things we delivered. Like I was really proud of issue seven we have, um, you know, but after Civil War II, Bucky was captured by S.H.I.E.L.D. And Steve's the one who ends up interrogating him. And Steve's having these real poignant moments where he's like, you know, I want I want you to be a hero. And every time I turn around, you're, you're a criminal and you're doing all these things. And how am I supposed to look after you? And how can, you know. Interesting. How can I defend you, essentially? But what makes it unbelievably, you know, aggravating to the reader is they know that Steve is is. A Hydra <laughs> and exactly. he's pulled the wool over Bucky's eyes and Bucky's so, you know, distraught about all this stuff because he thinks he's failed and he thinks he's, you know, hurt his best friend and his mentor Absolutely. and all this sort of stuff. And we know as the reader that there's this whole other part of the onion, <laughs> you know, unpeeled there for him. And, and it's excruciating. The drama is excruciating because we've added this extra element to it. And I think that that's that's what made it so you know fun, and, and so I can do these poignant aspects, and still give you engaging character drama, even if it's not necessarily going to be uh, full blown romance or whatever may I'm have you. you. No, and again, that's what I, they do love each other, but they yeah. but, but in my eyes, they love each other in a as you said a a, a kind of father son a mentor. Uh, brothers, students. whatever you want, to call and them. and absolutely brothers. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, again, it's funny because they get it. You know, the guys who wrote the Winter Soldier script, they certainly get it too. I, I love that moment where it's a flashback right after Steve's mom dies, and mm-hmm. Bucky's like, "Hey, man, just you shouldn't be alone. 
come to the house, yeah. man. We'll put we'll put the sofa cushions down like we used to and stuff when we were kids. And it's like, yeah, man. It's like, no, guys can have a sleepover that doesn't end in a, you know coupling. So like what? And this is the whole thing, right? I, you know, and and I think people get. So I don't know I, if they're worried about it, that it's going to demasculate them or something like, oh, you know, why we can't allow these people to talk about this stuff. Who cares? Like if you are passionate about characters, if you oh, yeah. love storytelling, great. You know, I, as long as you're not like, uh, you know, picketing the Marvel offices over this, you know, like I, I do you. whatever you want to do <laughs> man. like engage this stuff, uh, tell people about it, read it, love it. That's what it's there for. Oh, you, know I agree. I mean? you know, there was also that uh, during Secret Wars and I forget which I think I think Sam might have wrote it, Humphreys. And, you know, he wouldn't he, he wouldn't confirm it or, or anything. But I really felt there was kind of a romantic feeling in the. Uh, the the miniseries where where Steve uh, was on the Hulk planet, or I guess in the section where there was just you know the the wild barbarian Hulks, mm-hmm. and he was riding Devil Dinosaur and it you know whatever. I hadn't and, read that one, so well, I, I'm not sure. Okay, and there and yeah, and I mean like Bucky, you know Bucky seemed to be more of a romantic concern than just my friend is captured or my friend I can't right. even remember if they killed him or whatever, and it worked. It totally worked. So you know I think that's cool too, but. Uh, I, I really I, I do think that yeah there is this especially now that Bucky is back and and has full you know command of his faculties again right there is that regret of oh I don't want to disappoint this guy and like right. I said up until this this issue eleven I, I want to go back and read seven now I gotta have to, I gotta find that I really... oh seven eight seven eight is pretty crazy right, I'm really cool. proud of that one no yeah. I, will, I will definitely check that out because it is the, I just um... think their dynamic is so. Yeah. Interesting. And there's also another whole fandom of um, so the the Bucky Nat. So it's Natasha because they were oh, in sure. an actual relationship. That was a great and, story. Absolutely. Right. And then Brubaker, they, they ended up wiping Natasha's mind. Yes. So she doesn't remember and all that stuff. And, um, you know, so people really, really, you know, poignantly want want, you know, that pairing to get back together. Sure. And it's like, cool, man. Like, I, you know, you're passionate about it. You guys are. Tell me what you're engaged with. I can't promise you I'm going to give you everything, but I love knowing the stuff that that excites a reader. You know, I'm not here to give you what you want on a silver platter. You know, what I'm here to build a dramatic story. Oh, but well, I love hearing it. I love knowing what elements are are working and what elements are you know engaging at any point. You know. No, I hear you, man, and and I and I agree. Is is uh, <laughs> Natasha going to be in? Uh... In Thunderbolts, has she already been, and I've missed it, or no? She hasn't shown up. Well, like like flashbacks and stuff. But oh, she sure. hasn't been active in in Thunderbolts. Okay. Um, well, I so guess during we'll... during Secret Empire, Thunderbolts isn't running for reasons that will be clear once you read twelve. Oh, very interesting. Uh, okay. And so because it's folded right into the the core of uh, the event, yeah. Okay. So it would be somewhere between redundant and weird. So, um, you'll, you'll get a better sense of it. So, but Natasha's, you know, uh, got a role to play in all that stuff. And, and I'm just really glad, you know, yeah, I, again, that people are passionate about the characters and there's a discussion of what sort of comes after secret empire and how it all rolls out. And that's still being kind of finalized as we speak. And so, even potentially later this week, I might, <clears throat> I might know how, uh, like I've got some proposals in there and sort of discussion points on what, what comes next. So okay. Okay. it's crossed. Yeah. All right. Excellent. And, but in the meantime, you're shifting to uncanny. Yeah, I'll be doing uncanny. 
I'm also doing one of the the tie-in one-shot issues. They're doing these three oversized one-shots tying into Secret Empire as well. And so I'm doing one called United that comes out in June. Okay. Uh, and that's it's a, like a political kind of political thriller uh, with the how the mutants are sort of responding to a bunch of the Hydra stuff. And and uh, so I get to play in in sort of the mutant camp a little bit and get to show uh, sort of the Hydra. Um, machinations kind of going on in terms of the politics and backstabbing that's happening behind the scenes. So it's, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. It was Nick sort of contacted me and said, I think you'd be a really good fit for this. You know, what do you think? And, and, uh, we literally got on, on Skype and, and just sort of jammed for about 45 minutes. And I said, I want to do this kind of thing and this, and he really liked it. And we just went back and forth until pretty much by the time the phone call was done, I had an outline and I got off the phone and just wrote it in about half an hour, sent it over, and it was approved with almost no changes. So it was nice. It's nice to have that kind of you know back and forth. Certainly, I. Uh, it's interesting timing, and it's funny because it's uh, easy to say that this story is happening because of what's going on in the real world. But I do know for a fact that Nick had plotted this out well before. 2016. I don't think people realize how long this has been. Yeah, in the feel free print. to yeah, feel free to embellish as much as you can on that. Well, one of the and I, I you know I've only been privy to it obviously since you know early last year when I took over Thunderbolts, but um, someone one of the press guys posted a thing on Twitter. This is over a month ago, and he showed that in the 2012.1 issue, that's the first time that Nick Fury mentions Kobik. And at wow. that point, it's like a code word that he uses, I think, to unlock something or something like that. And and that's how long it's been in the on the back burner. Holy cow! Yeah, I didn't realize that. My God. Yeah. So obviously, in a in a you know, and and that's one of been one of the nice things from what I know with the retreats they've been doing and stuff like that. The the architects, you know, sort of getting together and talking about the big moves. Uh, they some of the the biggest elements are yeah three, four, five years out, they kind of have, they know where some of those bigger movements are going to be. So Funny. Well, it'll be yeah. interesting to see how the Marvel world's politics do play out for, for Secret Empire. And I mean, I remember the original Secret Empire, right. which also, again, uh, because it was so political and really was ripped from today's headlines, you know, right. back in the 70s when they did it. And, you know, for people who don't know, it turned out that... Uh, a very obvious-looking President Nixon was behind the Secret <laughs> Empire. Uh, kills himself at the end of the story. Sorry, spoilers, but forty-year-old spoilers. But that's yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think we're okay. But uh, yeah, man, I've, I've I talked to Engelhart about that story years ago. And, oh wow, uh, yeah, he's you know, and well, I mean, that's Captain America should be a political book, but it doesn't have to be, uh, you know, ripped from today's headlines to still be political. And sure, I mean, that's the thing. He represents the American ideal and that does change every generation or even, uh, with different administrations. And he has faced that kind of change in the past, choosing to become nomad, uh, mm-hmm. the U S agent kind of, uh, coming from that John, right. John Walker's the U S agent. Yep, isn't yep. It? Okay. Yeah. You know, I remember when, when Steve was, uh, in the eighties and the all black outfit and he was the captain, and That's John right. Walker was Captain America and stuff. So, no, I think these these things do come in waves. And it's fair to ask, what does Captain America represent today? And well, how, and I how think, I think what's, what's fascinating is, is this idea of, 
you know, of all the characters in the Marvel Universe, you know, he's arguably the, the most trustworthy, the most Absolutely. doubtlessly, you know, the leader uh, in, in Civil War Two. both sides looking to him for guidance, you know, both sides yes. sort of in all this stuff. And so taking that and saying, what if that person you couldn't trust them? What if everything yep. you held dear was sort of shaken to its core? And then where where do you find heroism and what do you do next? You know what I mean? And yes. I think that that's that has the, the story seed of something powerful. It Again, got to stick the landing. Yes. But, you know, uh, <laughs> there's a germ of something cool there. And, and you know, hopefully it all uh, plays out in a way that's satisfying to the readers. And, and I'm, you know, excited just to yeah, nervously excited because I I know what's coming. That's one of the other weird things. Um, now that I'm doing uh, sort of core Avengers stuff, I've been added to this mailing list where they send out the books essentially as they're going to press. And so I'm getting stuff about five weeks ahead, I think. Okay. And so I'm reading. I can't read it all. I just know it's sure. time. So I'm trying to keep up on everything just to make sure I'm not making any obvious pitfalls in my own books. Or where we, you know, we're sort of moving. But it also gives you the chance to sort of look and go, oh, wait a second. Isn't there, there might be a cool way I can incorporate some of this stuff into my book. Let's get on the horn, you know. Um, it's, so it's been really neat because I get to get a, a an advanced peek at where things are going. and But I also have to be careful because I can forget, like, oh, you haven't read that yet. You know, like I get sure. into this weird headspace of do you guys even know that? No. Okay. That's next month. Like, all right, cool. I'll just shut my mouth about everything. Cause then it's just easier. <laughs> you know, I just focus on got to make my own stuff function and entertaining. You know, so. so does 12 come out obviously before free comic book day, it comes out this month. Uh, yes. Know? Yeah. End of the month. Okay, yeah. good. Good. End of the month. So right before, uh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's rolling. the, I think it's the week before or whatever. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, I've already proofed it. It's off to press and, and, uh, yeah. So it's, I'm super, uh, pumped for people to read it, and it was just a re- it's just a really fun uh, you know set of issues that we put together, and I'm I'm really glad that people responded to it. And you know, my goal was to make it. People always ask me now about continuity. They're like, "Well, how do you feel about continuity?" And I'm like, "Well, it all you know it all happened. It's just we decide what parts we're going to emphasize or what elements kind of ring most true to you know to me for any particular character." You know, that's sort of that's the the kind of tangled web you got to you got to work with. And so it was fun because we would have these little asides. Like at one point in, um, I think, in number 10, someone makes a joke about, uh, you know, how crappy a leader Zemo was. And then that reminds them how crappy a leader that Norman Osborn was because he was their leader for a while. You know, so just yeah, we can do these little little nods to the past. But in a way that if you're just a new reader, you don't feel completely pushed out. Which was the anniversary issue? Was it 10? That was 10. Okay. Yeah. okay. That was the one that Kurt came in and did a, a prologue story with um, with Mark. Oh, Mark Bagley cool. and Kurt. Yeah, they did a little uh, – we were talking about the backup story. And then when we looked at the structure of it and how it all fit, I said, no, I want you guys to do the prologue to lead us in. And it, the story just directly you know, flows right into the main story. That's and cool. so I thought format-wise it was a little different, but I think it yeah. worked best narratively and – uh, Kurt was just delightful to work with. He's so uh, such a good team player, and we though it, just through luck of the timing, as we were planning it out, I had Rose City Comic Con, which was mm-hmm. uh, the show in Portland, and he was there, and they set us up side by side. Huh. 
so all weekend we were sort of jawing over it and and talking about things and it was weird because i was like catching him up on the book because he isn't able to read everything oh, sure. and so we were just talking about how things were going and my sort of plans and i had this weird awkward sense of like i'm telling the guy who made the thunderbolts what the thunderbolts are doing <laughs> and 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 i had a couple of moments where i was like i didn't want to ask permission but sort of like so that's how atlas ends up and he sort of re- i think he picked up on it he was just sort of like you don't need my permission. He's like, just do it, man. Have fun with it. You know, the toys are there. Go. That's cool. So. You know, I, I just ha- I, I had uh, Marv Wolfman on a panel in Salt Lake City at uh, Fanex, mm-hmm. and we talked about that. And Marv, Marv talked about how uh, people will come to him uh, who have, you know, Titans, current Titan writers right. or Nightwing and everything. Like they else. want his blessing or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And he's like, look, man, he goes, you know, I just, I'm like, I don't want to read it because. I don't want them to feel like I'm, I'm, you know, judging them or looking over yeah, their shoulder. Yeah. And no, you know, I mean, and that's the thing; these guys get it. They, they, they did the job long enough that they understand that someone will come after them, and as just as they came after uh, people prior to them. You know, I mean, it's that's that's the beauty of the, yeah, the, the there, mainstream books. There was a really nice tweet that I saw when Steve Orlando announced that he was doing uh, that first Midnighter uh, miniseries, and Warren Ellis was like, you know have a great time, you know, like don't hold back, you know, Midnighter's all about the extremes and, and once you're done, you know, put it back on the shelf and leave it for someone else. And it was just like, that's a, that's a classy thing to do. That's, that's the way it should be, you know, within the context of, of these, you know, work for hire kind of characters. Very cool, man. No, I, I'm really uh, interested in what you guys have planned. And, uh, I think, uh, you know, the, the story's in good hands. So, oh, thanks. I appreciate it. No, it shows. Yeah. It definitely shows. What? Uh, tell me real before we move on to your your creator own stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I am interested in, uh, um, and of course I put it down, so now I have to reach and grab it back. Oh. And uh, uh, John Mallon. And uh, now, was John your artist throughout the run, or did you have? Uh, yeah, John did every issue. He did out of the twelve. He did uh, ten of them. Okay. And so he, I'd, I'd never met him before. Uh, Tom uh, put him on the on the book. And so we literally met, you know, like he did the first cover and that was the first time I sort of saw his stuff on it. And then we got on the phone um, John gets up crazy early in the mornings. So I think his wife works on shift work or something. Okay. And so he was like, you can call me anytime except after like 8 p.m. And I was like, what? And he was just like, because I'm up at like four in the morning or oh, something. Man. So I went, okay. So we would have, I had, a, I think, a couple breakfast calls with him and stuff like that, <laughs> just That's sort of cool. touch base. And he's really, uh, you know, exuberant and just super excited about the book and just gave it his all, uh, you know, and that was, that was a lot of fun. He also uh, very much wanted to put his stamp on it in a, in a way, like he wanted to design new costumes and he wanted to really build in stuff to give it a, you know, its own visual kind of hook. And he's like, this is our you know, sort of run, let's, let's shake things up visually. Let's do all sorts of fun stuff with it. And so you get that kind of energy and exuberance and you're like, man, I just gotta, I gotta direct this cannon and let's launch, you know, let's go crazy. No, he did a great job. And, uh, yeah, I really modern style, but, uh, you know, I mean, has the classic, you know, uh, comic chops and everything. And no, I, I, th- I think his design choices are great. Uh, the way he draws characters are fantastic. And, uh, cool. yeah, I really, I really have enjoyed his, uh, his contributions. So that's, that's very cool to hear. Yeah. And you know, you want to have, um, this is the thing, right? The, the nice thing about doing the book and sort of putting down tracks on it is we were able to do 
you know, good character development over a, a little bit of a longer span. You know, it, there was one Civil War II tie-in issue, but we really dovetailed it with what we were already doing in terms of plot. Like, I was going to have Bucky get sort of captured by S.H.I.E.L.D. at some point anyways. Okay. And then we just looked at it and we said, oh, okay, this is our impetus for it. We were going to do it anyways, and we can just make it flow into, uh, you know, what was already kind of happening with Miles Morales. And then I got to write Miles, which was a ton of fun. Cool. Um, you know, it was, it just, again, I feel like my job, you know, playing in the Marvel universe is to build something and to, you know, to, to fight for what I think is a good story, but also to play well with others, you know, to, to, we can all work together to make something cooler. That's the key, obviously, you know, and, uh, you know, working, working at DC or Marvel, I mean, it is that ability to, you know, kind of collaborate and everything, not only yeah. with your artists, but, you know, the other books as well and make it all fit. So Yeah, totally. And I, and I it just, I, um, yeah, some of the upcoming stuff we've got planned is very much in that sort of same mold with Uncanny Avengers and with the other things that are on the horizon. It's very much like, okay, you know, we're, each book kind of has to have its own purpose and identity and function but that doesn't mean that it can't play well with others you know what i mean and so i think that there's a balance to be struck there in a good way excellent man now uh let's move on to uh wayward yeah and uh you had volume four come out uh threads and portents Mm -hmm. at the the beginning of last month yeah yeah i both um the glitter bomb first trade and wayward volume four arrived the same day and that was on purpose because it was Emerald City Comic Con. And so months and months in advance, I was like, I'm going to have two trades come out for that show because <laughs> I love that show. <laughs> and it just seemed like a re- it's a, sort of the unofficial kind of start of the con season for a lot of people. And uh, for me, it's usually my first or biggest show of that sort of opener. And uh, I just love having a new book out. And, yeah, it's been great. We've been uh, having an absolute blast. How are things, how are things going uh, with – both books in terms of, uh, you know, I mean, you, everything, you know, audience growing is, I mean, again, wayward, you're, you're into volume four. I'm always yeah. interested as these creator owned books, you know, kind of get beyond the initial arcs and everything and are kind of midway through the story. Where do you see yourself as far as wayward is right now? So wayward is, you know, our monthly issues have settled down, uh, but the trade sales are great. Like they're really quite strong. Cool. Um, and they, to the point where they, justify the book's existence kind of regardless of anything else. And it's not to say that the monthly sales are terrible. It's just, you know, there's that natural kind of attrition that sort of settles in. There's only, there's a very, very small number of books that are able to defy that kind of natural gravity of the higher numbers at this point. And, and we're not one of them, but I'm not like, you know, bitter about it. It's just sort of the natural way this thing goes, but our trade sales keep rising and our digital sales keep rising. And so that is buoying us and keeping us rolling in some really cool ways and and surprising me month uh, you know sort of every six months we get an update from image on on trade and digital sales and and i'm always sort of like okay well this is this we've hit the peak now and it's going to crest off but image has been doing such a good job getting its footprint in the bookstore chains and i think um you know libraries and all sorts of markets that people don't think enough about when it comes to comic retail uh, and so we just keep seeing growth in those areas and that's really that long-term kind of reading audience. It does mean that it's a bit longer, you know, it's a longer tail in terms of, um, the money coming in, 
but if I know it's there and I know that it's working, then I don't, you know, there's no problem with that. That's as long as there's growth in that area, that's all that matters. Excellent. Very cool. Um, and forgive me because I haven't been following. So tell me, no problem. Like, uh, you know, where uh, you let you can let wayward uh, readers know sure. where, where we are story wise, and then the same goes for Glitterbomb. Yeah. So uh, Wayward, uh, you know, I think last time I talked to you, Wayward was relatively young. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we were the way we were sort of selling it to people was like Buffy in Japan. Like it's yes. these teenagers fighting Japanese mythological monsters on the streets of Tokyo. And we've done a bunch of that, but we've also broadened the story in a lot of interesting ways. So we've dug a lot deeper into the mythological side of things and sort of revealed that these uh, kids, these teenagers are essentially the next generation of the supernatural in Japan, that they do not just represent kids with cool kids with powers, but they're essentially the, the, you know, the, the progenitors of the, of the next stage of, of the supernatural. And so the old gods and the old supernatural forces of Japan are trying to stop them from, from taking hold, trying to stop them from, you know, picking up the torch and, and seeing them as obsolete. And so, uh, the conflict has really, grown in a lot of amazing ways and and we've built some really cool drama with these characters and their relationships and then we threw uh, a big curveball into it by so the main character rory lane she's uh mixed so she's uh half japanese but she's also half irish okay and people kept asking us like well what's this irish thing how's that gonna (laughs) come into play and so her irish father ends up tracking her down in japan and uh, essentially teleports her back to Ireland. And so the last story arc was this split narrative where every other issue, one issue would be in Ireland, and the the opposing issue would be in Japan with the other half of the group. And so we got to play with uh, Celtic myths, and we got to sort of build uh, more of Rory's backstory and kind of surprise people with some of the twists on Irish mythology that we were able to put in there. So really broadening the book so that people people – you know, sort of assumed that the book was just going to be about Japan and obviously Japan's core to the story, but it's actually more about myth in general and about modern myth as a concept rather than just Japanese myth. And the Irish stuff is helping broaden that and bring a lot of cool variety to it. And in the same way that we did um, in wayward uh, we have essays in the back. Uh, so Zach Davison has been doing our Japanese essays and he's an Eisner award winning Japanese translator and researcher and, and he's written a bunch of books on Japanese mythology and he's just awesome. And then I've got this a woman, Anna O'Regan, and she's writing Celtic uh, myth essays in the back of uh, the Irish issues. Okay. And she's been wonderful for like translating stuff into Irish and, you know, checking our, our reference material for different places that the characters go in Ireland and just been a, a wonderful resource as we, as we broaden the, the global scope of the book. Excellent. Glitter bomb is another horror book, but of a different kind. And, uh, yeah, uh, like little Hollywood elements in there or, yeah. So it's, it's Hollywood horror about a, uh, a single mother and an actress who this middle-aged actress who has kind of been left behind by Hollywood. Like she didn't get sort of the fame she felt she deserved. And she's uh, been sort of left to the wayside because of bad decisions she's made and bad things that have happened to her and uh, her frustrations and sort of fears of failure has kind of manifested itself or potentially helped summon something awful and terrible (laughs) from beyond 
uh, that is convinced that the best thing we need to do is we need to destroy this whole tinsel town. And so it's this creepy horror revenge story, but the underpinning of it is sort of fame and failure, you know, that, that, uh, you know, she's lashing out at the system that feeds on people's emotions and tries to sell them the Hollywood dream or tries to sell people, you know, that they should be beautiful and perfect and famous and that the only thing to aspire for is celebrity. And so there's, there's, uh, you know, the, the, the best compliments we got about it is that the gory monster parts were not half as horrifying as the Hollywood jerk parts, you know? Sure. No, I understand. And, you know, I'm a fan of the, uh, Roseanne Arquette, uh, documentary that's searching for Deborah Winger. Yeah. Yeah. And just the plight of, of middle-aged actresses and, you know, well, you're not. Yeah, you're not the it girl anymore, yep. and and but you're not old enough to play a grandma, you know. Exactly. And so you're in this awful <laughs> space where you're totally a valid actor and you have these skills, and no one cares. And the the men are getting older, and their co-stars get younger to sort of balance whatever magic number they've figured out. People think they want to see. It's it's interesting because and and you're able to tap into this. It it is it does seem like it's changing a little bit. I mean, I, yeah. I really, I really, you know, like I remember uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick explaining to me the the sexy lamp, uh, right? Yeah, you yeah. know, idea which okay. cracks me up, but I get it, and it's sad. Uh, oh, it but is I, sad. But, but I do really think that Hollywood is finally addressing that, and you know, God, look at uh, and now I'm blanking from the Matrix, Carrie. Uh, oh, Carrie uh, Moss, I think it is. Yes, and uh, you know, and look at her role, role in the uh, in the Netflix Marvel television. Yeah, but but this is the thing is I think that what people are realizing is that those old rules, uh, you know, you don't have to adhere to them in yeah. order to please a general public. Look at look at the varied cast from you know the Fast and the Furious movies. Yes. Or all this sort of stuff that that what people really want, and I think in some ways what scares the crap out of Hollywood is that they don't they they can't just rely on old formulas. Yes. They can't just rely on old expectations. They can't just put a star in front of everyone and everyone goes, okay, I'll show up. That that everything's sort of out the window in terms of branding and everything's sort of out the window. God forbid you might have to tell good stories and surprise <laughs> people. You know that that what people really want. Is compelling stories and interesting, you know, sort of of uh, storytelling, Agreed. and that that is the the universal constant. I was actually tweeting about this this morning, and and one of the things I was sort of saying is is this exact thing. All companies, whether it's comic book company publishers or or video game publishers or movie studios, they would love to have you know that magic formula. Oh, we just plug in this and everyone will buy it. Oh, the the perfect genre. This is hot right now. Or this gameplay style, or this star, or this you know whatever zombies, whatever whatever you want to put into it, that they keep looking for that thing because that's the easy answer. And what they don't want to admit is that it's alchemical, that it's a mixture of the concept, the creative people, and their marketing and their you know support of the idea. And it's going to be different every time. And and I know that that's scary to people because they would love to just have, well. We just put the bat symbol on it and it'll sell a million copies or whatever. <laughs> but it's not. It's always the, – the audience is more savvy now and they have more options than ever before. I'm, uh, you know, th- that's what's really scary. In, this, the, in the digital age, I'm not just competing with – for your dollar with, with the new books that came out this week. I'm literally competing with every Marvel book that's ever been. Marvel Unlimited, sure. Right? I'm competing with archives of material 
that you know pull at your heartstrings and your nostalgia, right? Absolutely. And so I have to justify my existence in the face of that. Uh, you know, and the same thing with television. If you want to wind away your hours watching every episode of you know WKRP in Cincinnati <laughs> or or Friends or or whatever, you can. Why do I need new television? Well, new television better be awesome in order to justify, you know, how it can stand out against the the onslaught of other material. It's interesting now in TV, I think dramas have obviously elevated because of everything you just said. Yeah. And it seems like it's sitcoms that really are struggling and well because the 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 format of sitcoms, the familiarity of needing to sit down and instantly know what's at stake and look it's that character being that character the way they are every week isn't required anymore because what used to be is you didn't know if people were going to pick up every episode so you couldn't have long kind of storylines true you would just sort of plug it in and go well there's so-and-so being wacky you know and now because of netflix and because people want to binge watch from the first episode you can get these nuanced intense dramas and build up all the pieces uh, and make really elaborate storytelling. So, you know, something like The Wire that used to be the, sure. the exception now is sort of like people look to it as a, you know, aspirational sort of thing because no they want to tell those kinds of nuanced stories with the kinds of production values that are movie-esque thanks to, you know, the technology being that much more uh, accessible. Yeah, and special effects. I agree. And I also think, you know, I uh, and not to pick on it because I like the idea of it, but like Powerless, really, mm-hmm. I, I got to be honest, it disappoints me because it... So it feels very much of an earlier era. That and also it's, well, yeah, and you're right, but not that early. I mean, it really feels like, okay, this is like Poor Man's Community or Poor Man's Parks and Rec or... Uh, the office and stuff like that. And it's, I mean, yeah. to be honest, as much as people love parks and rec, I'm like, sure. well, I feel like I'm seeing the same dog tricks I saw in the office. And I'm like, I like the people on the show and I'm really glad, sure. that, you know, a lot of these people have, you know, had breakout careers since the parks and rec and stuff, but yeah, man. And, and, and powerless, it's just like, okay. And, and it was, it was disappointing because like the Easter eggs are still fun. The superheroes yeah. nods are fun. But I, when he gets one- so my patience is so short for, yeah. for it now, like not just that show, but pretty much anything like I've watched because I'm so busy, like I'm juggling this full-time day job and then I've got a full-time comic writing slate. Like I'm writing between, you know, uh, anywhere between four and six books a month. Sure. And it's like, if it's not, I know it sounds really crass, so hear me out. If it's not brilliant, I'm dropping it. I hear Which you. I'm sure some people are going to listen to this and go, well, your comics aren't brilliant, so screw you. <laughs> but whatever. Like, I, when it comes to the TV stuff, I've got just no patience. Like, I just look and I go, okay, they lost me. I can't do this. And my wife just laughs because she's like, wow, I think that show lasted two episodes. And then you just threw it in the garbage because I'm just like, no, I don't, I ain't got time for this. Like, you know, if it's not engaging me if my brain's not you know firing on all cylinders because i'm excited about this or it's really amusing or whatever why am i sitting here trying to force myself to like something understood god God knows there's enough other options out there there's a hundred shows people are talking about that i should be watching or trying out uh you know we've been watching the expanse have you watched that yes i actually i've seen a couple episodes of it and i and it looks you know it looks interesting, the Sci-Fi Channel one with um, yeah, yeah. with uh, uh, Thomas Jane. Yeah, and it, you know what? It, it's a little bit of a slow burn on that first season, and then it gets some real momentum. And second season is just awesome. Cool. We are we are loving it. 
And every episode is just like, there's something that happens in the, oh, I don't want to get it wrong. I think it's the fifth episode of second season. Okay. And it feels like a season ender. Like, it's huge. And you're like, is this the end of the season, episode five? No, because I know there's more coming. How are they going to bounce out of this? And it's just like, just another episode. I couldn't believe it. I mean, they do have huge uh, aftershocks because of it. But it felt like that's now propelling it rather than it being like, look, we showed you all our cards. It's just like, oh, we got more. You don't even know. Interesting. I'm I'm thinking like, man, to me, dramatically, that felt like that was the big play. And they're like, nope, we got way more in the tank. I'm just like, holy moly. Like I can't. Yeah, it's it's intensely good. It's probably the best. Yeah, the best like hard sci-fi, like actual science fiction, science fiction, not like, you know, kind of wishy-washy. Sure. It's well, it's like, Star like Trek. yeah, like Star yeah, Trek. Yeah, it's or... it's the best in like hard sci-fi I've seen since I couldn't even tell you. So well, I you know the broad strokes looked like you know Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, the, yeah. The the good parts of Babylon Five in terms of the politics. Um, mm. So yeah, I, I and the production I, values are immaculate well, on well, it. Yes, I mean that that is what really surprised me is yeah, I mean it just looks amazing and it I you know hey give me a good space show. You usually have my attention. So, all right, I'll I'll get back to it then. And uh, yeah, yeah, give it give it a give it a real <laughs> attack because again, there were some of the characters where I felt like they, you know, the first season they're getting their legs, but but I was never unentertained. Like that's the difference. You know, we talked about um, how I would drop a show in an instant, but this one I was like, oh no, there's enough there to keep me keep me engaged. I'm 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 on board. I'm not like losing my mind, but I'm on board. And then it just grows and grows, and you go, oh wait a minute, that means. Oh no! And you just start you seeing the rev- you know how it's all tying together in really cool ways. It's uh, it's it's very uh, slickly put together. Interesting. I well, yeah. and, the, and the reason why I, I make so many uh, TV comparisons is I think the comic market faces the same challenges in terms yes. of like you said, you really have to be distinct and interesting. And if not, then yeah, it's uh, there's plenty more to choose from. So what do you, what do you do beyond? writing uh, and 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 making great stories to to kind of get the word out these days. Well, I mean, you know, the the dirty word of marketing, right? Like how do you yeah. engage someone or how do you let someone know you exist? So, you know, you got to constantly try and and push uh people to cover it and push people to be talking about it. Um image again and that's one of those areas where I think that they've been growing because of you know, everyone benefits from from Robert's success on Walking Dead that that just saying image now on its own merit has some clout that you can get into into spheres and get into people's faces in a way that you just couldn't have before. True. And so, you know, we can say you, the publisher of The Walking Dead, you know, has a horror and Hollywood book and people are like, yeah, I'll check that out. You know, so you can put it into spaces and, and, and get people, you know, looking at it. Um, I've got an, this sounds, I, I don't say this as some sort of like an ego trip. I have an agent now, which is one of the weirdest experiences. Uh, and so that's his job as well is to get it in front of people and to be getting them talking about it and, and on a media level sort of looking and engaging and shopping it about. That was the one area of the whole th- sort of thing I didn't feel comfortable with. Like, I'm fine with publishing and I worked in, you know, at Udon for years and mm-hmm. I've done conventions and publishing and the pre-press stuff and, and graphic design and art and illustration and, and writing. That's all stuff I feel very comfortable with. But but the media deal stuff and negotiating and d- navigating Hollywood, uh, I didn't feel as comfortable with. 
Um, I, I didn't mind writing stories about Hollywood being burned to the ground, but I wasn't <laughs> as, um, you know, uh, uh, just, just not aware of how you, uh, get people, you know, interested or, or what sort of negotiating stuff happens and how to do it. And, um, my agent's been awesome on that. He's been really, uh, great. And he reps, uh, several sort of other creators, some image creators and, and stuff. And, uh, he's been great, really, really, um, good at, at sort of listening and, but also explaining and, and educating me on how all that sort of thing functions. That's cool. Tell me about the text piece at the end of, uh, the glitter bomb, uh, oh, man. trade. Yeah. So there, uh, is a group of essays and it's in the trade and in the single issues. Cool um, you put them in the trade by the way, but go on. Yeah. And it was something where we were looking at it and with wayward, we generally put, the essays only in the single issues and in the deluxe. And then we have different back matter in the trades. Okay. Cause, but for glitter bomb, I don't know. It felt so integral to the way that the whole thing functions. So I did a ton of research on Hollywood and, and, um, I wanted to make sure it felt like the real place and that, that, that what was going to make it horrifying was the reality of it, that the way people treat each other and the stuff that happens off camera felt like it could really happen to someone. And so I had done a bunch of reading and watched documentaries and, you know, true life Hollywood story kind of stuff, but also just reading. And then one of the things I stumbled across was this article from this woman named uh, Holly Rachel Hughes. And she was a former um, producer in Hollywood. She'd worked on television shows and, and um, she wrote this article for, I think XO Jane is the website, mm-hmm. all about being uh, sexually abused on set. Uh, and also being just mistreated by the staff and, and how difficult her time was, even when she was a decision maker in other parts of, of, you know, the industry and how difficult things were for her. And I read that and I was like, oh, that, that emotional stuff is coming through so clearly. And that is the, the, the sort of nastiness that, I'm trying to channel like, you know, like that's on point. That's Mm -hmm. exactly the kind of brutalness that, that I know it sounds awkward to say I'm looking for, but it'd be, you know, that that at the heart of, of, you know, what I think these things about Hollywood that I want to say. And so I had it in bookmarked and I, you know, read over it a couple of times and used sort of it in the back of my mind when I was doing writing. And then I was looking at, and I thought, gosh, it would be great to have back matter in glitter bomb. Um, and so I kept sort of dancing around and I contacted a couple people I knew in Hollywood and everyone, you know, no one wants to put their name on a thing where they're going to tear down their coworkers and, you know, go to town on it. And so I was in this sort of state of like, maybe I can get someone to write an anonymous article or, you know, something like that. And then I stumbled back on that, that essay she'd written. I thought, this is basically what I want. I, so it's going to be this awkward thing where I'm going to be sending someone her article and going, do you know someone like this? And I just said, you know what? What's the worst thing that could happen? I reached out to her on Twitter. I found her on Twitter. And I said, I know this is going to sound really creepy and weird, but like your essay that you wrote for ExoJane was very poignant. And um, I, you know, I was really blown away by it. I'm working on this book. Uh, about Hollywood and, and sort of nasty experiences and all this kind of thing. 
I don't want to bug you, but do you, you know, if you're interested in reading it or if you ever want to chat more, I would be really interested. And she was understandably like a little bit tenuous at first. Sure. And then uh, I sent her the first issue because we had it already complete. And she read it and she responded just viscerally. She's like, I love this. This is incredible. You know, I didn't realize they made comics like this. Like, this is just not what I. Yeah. Right. I didn't know (laughs) comics could do that. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. Right. You know, and so uh, we started talking back and forth and I asked her if I could, uh, you know, purchase the reproduction rights to put the essay in the back of issue one. And we came to terms pretty quick on it. Uh, Cause she was really happy to be, you know, even remotely involved. And I mean, it, it was nothing to it. She just gives me permission. I get the text and I can just reuse it. Um, and then I said, you know, uh, she said, well, what are you going to do in issue two? And I said, well, I, I don't know yet. I, that's a bridge I'll get to, you know, later. <laughs> and, uh, she was like, well, I got a lot more stories. And I said, are really? Wow. Like, that's terrifying. <laughs> you know, wow. like, right, like, are, do you, you know, sure let's let's figure this out let's do something and so she ended up writing you know one essay for each uh issue and the fourth essay really does a beautiful job at kind of coming full circle and encompassing some of the thematic stuff from the first one bringing it all back into focus in a beautiful and poignant and kind of freaky way and um i loved it i think and so many people responded to it because you read the lead story in the comic and you're like oh this is cool but it can't be that bad and then you read her essay and you're like, oh, God, it might even be worse. Yeah, isn't it you interesting? Know? The real life is the real horror. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the thing is that people were like, uh, you know, in the same sort of way that with Zach's essays, people were like, oh, they're really using the Japanese mythology as the base for wayward. Like, I'm really trying to use the, the primordial essence of Hollywood here, in, in, you know, in in, uh, in Glitterbomb. Like, sure. I really want to get. Yeah, I want it to feel like it's got gravity. You know, and yes. that that this woman's problems are not just supernatural. That the the if anything, the supernatural stuff is a is a byproduct of the reality, is a byproduct of of the nastiness that she's had to deal with her sure. entire career. And I think that it makes for a better story. It makes for a more poignant story and an engaging one, and it gives it a lot more bite. It just makes the whole thing visceral in a way that I couldn't have done just with the comic alone. I understand. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and Holly's been just awesome as a as a cheerleader for the book, and she's put it in front of a lot of people, uh, some of her former you know friends in Hollywood, and she's been great about just beating the drum about the book and and telling everyone how proud she is to be a part of it, and you know she's laying out some really personal stuff about the breakdown of her marriage and you know the the intense sort of stress that she went through in this career. So much to her credit, like she lays out a lot of personal stuff in a very poignant way for my comic. Like I, you know, I feel um, a responsibility like to do right by, by, you know, by her and by people who have been treated like her, you know, and to tell a story worthy of it. And so um, we did the first four issues as its own sort of miniseries slash arc with the, with the intent to do more and it's done quite well. Uh, so we were lining up to do a second mini series in the fall. So this format we're kind of doing is every September to December, you get four issues of glitter bomb. And then in the spring you get the next trade. Very cool. And I want to do at least three arcs 
because I kind of know where it goes. Uh, there's a character, a secondary character in the first uh, arc who now will be the focal point in the second arc. Interesting. And, and so whereas, whereas um, you know, the, the main character of uh, Glitterbomb, uh, Farah, she is an experienced person, an actress who's gone through all these difficulties the character in the second arc is someone who's coming into it fresh and has all sorts of assumptions and expectations about what being a celebrity or being famous or being an actor is all about. And so we're going to get to a much more naive kind of, uh, you know, manipulation and, and loss and, and sort of darkness coming through uh, and getting just a different perspective on kind of the Hollywood machine. Is that Caden? Yes. Okay. So Caden's the focus moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. No, so I the, think the you're second something, is going to be called uh, the Fame Game, and Jibril uh, <laughs> started working away on covers, and I've got the story sort of outlined, and I'm plugging away on scripts bit by bit, sort of in the background as I get other stuff done. So interesting. No, that's yeah. really cool, man. Is will Holly continue to write essays, or are you going to go to someone else? Or well, this is the thing. So I, I uh, Holly and I have sort of talked broadly, and she's like, "If you want me involved, I'd be thrilled to be involved." And now I have to decide, sort of figure out whether or not I get, you know, someone to talk about the being a new actress, or you know, like entering Hollywood fresh, or something like that. Uh, there's a couple options on the table uh, as far as that goes. So I'm still kind of parsing it out. We've got a little bit of time still to sure. to nail down those specifics. That's cool. And I, and honestly, uh, a lot of times with image books, the back matter is almost equal to the story being told. And I think that uh, I get why uh, a lot of creators choose to keep it in the con- in the monthlies because yeah. it make the month it makes the monthlies matter a little bit more. And I, I get all that, but I do think it was wise of you putting that in the uh, in the volume and everything because yeah. Yeah, I had a lot of people asking about that, and I felt like one of the things that gave the book so much gravity was that additional anchor of of Holly's essays. And so, to me, it was like I feel like the book would be not incomplete, but definitely weaker without it. And so I thought, okay, there's no reason why we can't have that in there. That's and, great. And, you know, the response has been great. The books in trade has been getting some really good coverage and some really good responses from people. And the first thing they say is, when's the next one? And I'm like, well, that's good. You know, so I, I feel like we might even be able to pick up more monthly readers who won't wait till sure. next spring who are just like, OK, I got to know. I got to know how this is all going to play out. Very cool, man. Uh, yeah. And it's a really different story for me. I don't think people expected because, you know, Skull Kickers is this action comedy. And yeah, Wayward I forgot is, Skull Kickers, absolutely. Some, yeah, yes. Wayward's got some dark bits. Uh, well, quite a few dark bits, sure. but, it's, but it's still more adventurous mm-hmm. than, um, you know, sort of horrific at its core. Um, and this is like full-on dark, you yeah. know. So yeah. I, I wanted to sort of stretch myself and see if I could do it. And it was a way to sort of say, okay, you know, do I have this in me? Uh, and, and people have responded well to it. That's one of the things I love about comics because, you know, if you're trying to convince someone you could to make a movie or something where you're like hundreds of millions of dollars or tens of millions of dollars. And they're like, well, you're known for this. So we can only bank on that, you know, but one, one comic project, one miniseries, and I can, I can prove to you that I've got wider range than you thought, you know? <laughs> So outstanding. Kind of nice. Well, we'll yeah. wrap up with Skull Crickers. Tell us what's going on. 
Well, Skull Kickers has been done for a couple years. Oh, I apologize, Jim. No, okay. no, no worries. Uh, people ask us when we're going to bring it back, and I'm always like, you know, it's nice to have a complete thing in the rearview mirror, to be honest. Sure. Uh, and to just know. We were joking around. At one point, I was sort of like, because we did this arc where we did all these riffs on Marvel and DC uh, stuff. So we did like, we just kept changing adjectives. So we had like the uncanny skull kickers, the mighty skull kickers. <laughs> uh, my favorite one was dark skull kickers dark because there was that dark <laughs> Avengers book and then there was Justice, Justice League dark. Uh <laughs> And so I honestly, we were on the fence. I was sort of talking to Edwin and I thought I had it in my head that we might do a, a special and I was going to call it all new skull kickers rebirth. And then I was like, I don't, I don't know if I want to get back on that hamster wheel. I don't know. I think maybe we might've, you know, spent our juice, but I really like the way that the book wrapped up and I'm really proud of it. Uh, so, uh, you know, when, when 2020 comes around and it's the 10th anniversary, you know, maybe, maybe something will sort of stir from the depths, but for now <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to sort of let it lie and, okay. you know, glitter bombs done really well. And I want to focus on that and sure. Wayward's doing well. And I just want to keep doing a great job with that as much as we can, you know, Steven, does such beautiful artwork and Jabril who draws uh, glitter bomb is uh, incredible, like phenomenal. And he's a young guy too. Jabril is, Oh, I think, I think he's turning 23. Wow. And oh he draws God. like, yeah. Yeah. Like and a he's a page. Pro, yeah. And he's a page a day. Wow. Yeah. Good for you, man. No, yeah, that's great. No. Uh, uh, Marvel snapped him up to do a bunch of fill-ins and stuff, you know, in between our miniseries because they, they could tell he was he was magic right from the get go. That's really cool. You know, honestly, and and I, I I hope you take this as the compliment it's intended to be. But really, Glitter Bomb has that Vertigo feel to it. Oh, totally. And, I mean, yeah, I it is a Vertigo it, book. Like, yes, you know, yeah, I, yeah, I, it, I make no no apologies for it. You know? <laughs> and the good news is, as you were saying, and it's true, Image is getting that cachet now as well. And that's the thing. I really do think. That, you know, if, if, you know, the Vertigo people were aware of this at, you know, when you were pitching, that this could have been a, a very significant Vertigo book. And now even better, it's a significant image book and you get to keep more of the money. So Funny, John, <laughs> that you mentioned that it could have been a Vertigo book. Did you and that's all, that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> all right, everyone. You don't need your decoder ring to figure that out. That's fantastic. Well, good Wouldn't for you. Wouldn't that have been a fascinating Vertigo book? Oh, How well. strange. Oh, well, these things huh. happen. You know, uh, and, and yet was, here we are, well, and I own hey, it all with Jabril. Atta boy, that's great, man. No, it's uh, it's it's very, very, very cool. It's uh, you know, and the, the, that many varies should tell you that. Yeah, um. no, we had a ton of fun working on it, and the great thing, you know, the I love working at Image. Like Image is my go-to for creator-owned, and and I don't see why it won't be in the future because. I'm used to sort of having my foot on the steering, uh, foot on the pedal, and 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 hand on the steering wheel, like, and that they they give you that kind of freedom to to build a book the way you want, release it the way you want, schedule it the way you want. The content is what you want. Like, you're to blame, and you're you know the one who gets all the praise if it works the way that that you want it to, because you make all those decisions, you know. And so, I feel very comfortable with that. It's how I like to work. I'm very. Uh, kind of control freak in that regard. Like I do all the graphic design on my own image books, everything from the layout to the, um, the, the, the cover uh, logo to the spot gloss templates on the books and all wow. that sort of stuff. And, and cause I love getting in there and just getting finicky with it. And I'm, 
my own worst sort of critic on that front. And so that way I can just pick at it until I'm happy and then no one else has to deal with me. Uh, you know, an image allows me to do that. And that's what's so great is I can send them a print ready finished book. They just throw the indicia and the, the barcode on the back and, and print that sucker. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Very, very cool. What, uh, what shows have you got coming up this year? Good question. Um, I'm doing a bunch sort of coming up relatively soon and then things kind of quiet down, which is unusual. It's sort of the opposite of, of my usual schedule. I've got um, the I'm doing a signing like in my hometown, which I've never done before, which is kind of dorky. Oh, wow. and I'm looking forward to that. Just at a little comic store in Oshawa cool. uh, on April 15th. And then I'm going to be at the Calgary Comic Expo uh, late April. Uh, I think I've talked about that show last time I was on. It's like one of my favorites. It's the, the one of the biggest shows in Canada. And I've been going every single year. Uh, my good buddy organizes it. And it's grown from being this little tiny show to just a monster. Like now it gets, you know, Emerald city comic con kind of, uh, numbers like oh, big, great. big, crazy. Uh, it's awesome. And then I'm doing, um, TCAF, the Toronto comic arts festival, sure. which keeps growing. And that's my hometown show organized by another friend of mine, uh, Chris butcher, who he was actually the best man at my wedding. It's oh, like, called cool. nerdy wondrous. Um, He's an amazing, amazing guy. He's like an empresario of comics, and he brings in such a phenomenal, like a like a global talent pool for that show. And it's literally, you know, down the street from me, and I feel so fortunate to be a tiny part of it. They just announced a huge slate of image creators to sell, celebrate Image's 25th anniversary. So they're going to have a whole bunch of awesome image creators coming down for that. Uh, which should be uh, amazing and, and tons of fun. Cool. So I'll be doing that show, and then I'm doing um, Washington, D.C. I'm doing Awesome Con. Oh, yeah. Okay. A lot of my friends um, are going to be there. I sadly won't, but uh, a, lot, you know, I, a, lot of, uh, a lot of my friends are going to be at Awesome Con. Yeah. That's cool. I'm doing, a, a, um, what's it called, Megacon in Orlando for the first time. Nice. And so um, John Tyler Christopher, the guy who did the covers for uh, Figment, he was there, I think, last year, and he said it was crazy. He said he signed more Figment books than Star Wars. And he does those action figure covers. Okay. <laughs> so he, I mean, you know, they've done how many of those? Yeah. You know, oh, right? God, yeah. And he says, but, you know, it's Disney. The Epcot Park's right there. And he said he just signed so many Figment books, it was crazy. So I'm really looking forward to that show and seeing people and seeing some friends uh, I know who work at Disney and stuff as well. So that will be a lot of fun. Um, and then I don't know, San Diego is kind of up in the air and I keep saying that every year and then I end up getting pulled into the gravity well, <laughs> but I really honestly have no reason to go for the first time ever. Like normally I go there to be seen or sure. to try and talk up projects or sure. to try and stick the landing on some pitch or something. And I am honestly booked solid Good for until you, May of next year. That's awesome. So, yeah, yeah I, I couldn't take another project if I wanted to. If I did, I'd have to drop something. I understand. And so I've been turning down stuff, which is the strangest feeling um, in a good way. Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, there's, there's one more uh, sort of big announcement coming later this year. And once people hear that, I think they'll be like, oh, no wonder Jim's not taking any work. <laughs> so um, I'm super pumped for that. I, I You know, it, keeping this a secret has been excruciating uh but in a good way i hear you so 
Yeah. Well, that's wonderful, man. Seriously, I'm I'm really glad that uh, it's all coming together. And uh, yeah, you yeah, know, right? And it was funny before we started recording. You said you got the you got the day job teaching animation and everything. Yeah. And yeah, trying to balance those two. Uh, you know, the day job is wonderful, and they're really the college where I teach. They're unbelievably supportive about the work that I'm doing, and almost all the instructors at this school are uh, are part time because they bring those current experiences into the classroom. So they're, you know, the, the storyboard instructor is a storyboard artist. He works in TV and movies, you know, the character design instructor is a working character designer. The animators are animators. Like they're not telling you back in my day, it was like this. They're telling you it's like this now, because I'm, when you're, you know, bleary eyed working all night on stuff, I'm bleary eyed working all night on stuff. And so it's nice that they're getting that current experience. Uh, it's a college called Seneca, um, in Toronto and, and they've had this award-winning animation program for God, I coming up on, I think 18 years and their graduates work at places like, you know, blizzard, they work mm-hmm. at, uh, uh, Pixar, they work at ILM, they work across a bunch of studios and Ubisoft and Bioware. And, um, do, do you know that artist Jorge Molina? Probably, but go on. Yeah. He's done a bunch of stuff for Marvel. Um, he uh, he's actually one of my former students, which is sort of uh, oh, that's um, crazy. Yeah, yeah. You know, I like showed Fun. that kid perspective drawing, and now he's <laughs> phenomenal, like the next Stuart Eminem or something. Oh yeah, wow, he's really, really, really good. That's excellent. And you know, it is so weird. Um, I'm glad that you have that good experience at your school, and I and uh, there's a school in Chicago called Columbia that uh, has that same type of thing where they've got. Uh, both past but also current pros that are, mm-hmm. that are teaching and everything and explaining how things work now. Um, I know of uh, a friend of mine that's uh, a, a pretty good uh, comic writer that was teaching uh, writing at a school and uh, had to switch schools because uh, the new department head is like, yeah, we uh, we don't have time for your writing and, you know, your type of writing. And it's like, oh. but I'm a published writer and I'm yeah, doing yeah. pretty well. And it's like, yeah, that's okay. We're, uh, you know, whatever. And, you know, hey, that's fine. He just moved his act to another school and is very welcome there and everything's moving along fine. But, yeah, it is it is so strange that there is some, you know, those people that don't understand that it is a good idea to learn from the people that not only did it but are currently doing it. And I can tell you really, like, you know, give give kids the honest truth about what's going on in, in the market because we were, again, talking before we started and stuff – and I was telling you about my adventures in broadcasting, and I'm very straight with students and stuff, and say, "Hey, it's a changing world, and it's yeah uh, harder and, and harder to get full time be... gigs, and you know, and and you got to be prepared for what the market is now. It is not the same market that it was when I started, you know, 30 years ago. No, you know, it's fascinating because the animation market when I graduated was terrible. It was actually a real bad downturn. And now there's a lot more opportunities in animation, but you got to be, you got to be, you know, fleet of foot. You got to definitely be ready to move and you got to be ready to take hold of opportunities. Sure. You know, uh, and that's kind of core to, to, to what, you know, you, you need to be flexible. But the good thing is the, this, you know, the, my ability to do my job, uh, anywhere, for the most part, like obviously the teaching stuff, I got to be there in the room. But like last summer when I was off, my wife and I, uh, we took an extended sabbatical. We went to Tokyo. We went to Japan for six weeks and uh, lived downtown. Like I had a corporate apartment for a month in Tokyo. That's and great. then we did two weeks on the road. And I write it off because it's research for Wayward. Certainly. 
but I also, uh, you know, had this wonderful kind of global experience and, and just putting yourself somewhere new. And the fact that you can do that as a creative, that I could set that up with Marvel and I was still delivering scripts and we were setting up conference calls. Obviously I got to figure it out with 13 hours, you know, difference, but (laughs) in terms of being able to still do my job, you know, you got to wait a few extra hours for me to answer an email sometimes, but but it, it was still smooth. We were able to do this thing. I was still doing, you know, art approvals. We were still doing lettering proofs. We were still, the job continues. And that's, that's, that's an incredible thing that some of the students are able to work from home or they're able to, you know, take on opportunities in different places or, you know, it, it's a global creative kind of market right now. And if you're willing to put yourself out there, there's all sorts of cool ways to use that to your advantage. Very cool, man. I, I forgot one other signing thing I'm doing. Oh, do I just, it. My brain. Uh, free comic book day. I'm going to be uh, actually in uh, Glassboro, New Jersey at a place called The Comic Book Store. Cool. Uh, they're bringing me out. Uh, they're big fans of the books, and they've sort of been in touch with me for quite a while and sort of jockeying back and forth like, oh, you should come out. You should come out. And then they finally pulled the trigger on it. So I'm really looking forward to it. It's uh, Glassboro is sort of near Philadelphia, like on that lower end of kind of New Jersey, I guess. So, yeah, really looking forward to that. That's excellent, man. No, that's yeah. great. Keep it up, Jim. I, Thanks, you know, I, man. Honestly, I'm really happy it's all working out. You're a good guy and you're a hell of a writer. So, uh, Oh, I deeply appreciate it. No question. And it's a pleasure always talking to you. And, uh, I, you know, again, uh, you know, at your, at your website, you really do lay things out in terms of if you really want to try and do this. As a, as a writer and stuff, you've got great tutorials. And oh, thank you. Great essays over there. Remind people of your, is it just jimzub.com? Yeah, just jimzub.com, just J-I-M-Z-U-B.com. And I've got probably about 30, or maybe maybe even closer to 40 articles about working in the business, everything from pitching stories to finding collaborators to, you know, uh, sales and marketing and, and promotion and working with retailers and just all sorts of nuts and bolts of working in the business. And I've been really thankful that there's been a, quite a few editors at publishers who have said that they just point people towards my site. They just go, that's what a pitch looks like. Look, kid, <laughs> just go over here and just read, read everything on there. And if you still have a question, then, then ask, you know, which has been, it's, it's a real, you know, uh, wonderful thing to hear from people that that's, it's been useful over the years. Um, yeah, it's, it's been, uh, been really cool to have that out there, even just literally today, you know, people were tweeting at me. I, I started a Patreon not to like all the tutorial material is free on my site, uh-huh. but the Patreon sort of like a deep dive. Like people would ask me for samples of my scripts and I would be sort of like, yeah, you know, I don't really want to publicly put a bunch of those on my website. Sure. You know, but what I did is I set up a Patreon. People would always say to me at conventions, they would go, I want to buy you a coffee, pick your brain, or I want to buy you a beer. Or, you know, someone's like, oh man, I followed your, your sort of template, not template, but I looked at how you put a pitch together. I put my pitch together and now Dark Horse is doing my book or whatever. And I owe you dinner or something. And I said, well, you know, I don't have time, but uh, if you ever want to support me, this is how you can do it. You go to the Patreon and there's literally a tier called buy me a coffee which is like $3. And there's like a buy me a beer, which is like five bucks. And then there's a buy me dinner, which is like 10 bucks. I guess you take me to McDonald's or something. <laughs> um, and, and what you do is you get access to a script archive where I'm posting up stuff at least twice a month 
so I've got all my Thunderbolt scripts on there. Wow. I've got pitches. I've got pacing breakdowns and, and lettering proof notes and just how the actual work is done. So if you read all the tutorial stuff and you're either like really thankful and you want to pay me back in some way or you just like what is an actual professional script look like, you know, that you would send to Marvel or that you would send to IDW or, you know, how does this – stuff work. How much do you describe to the artist versus how much do they interpret? Uh, in my case, you know, the, there's this archive you can dig into for three bucks or five bucks or whatever. And if you're at the $10 level, you essentially get on my advanced press list where I send you my creator own books as if you were, you know, uh, a retailer or a member of the press. So you're getting it weeks early so you can read it and, and enjoy it. That's awesome, man. I'm looking at your Patreon page now. Patreon.com slash Jim Zub, all one word. Yep. Yuppers. So that's awesome, dude. Well, there Thanks. you go. As a fellow Patreon uh, creator as well. I'm, I'm oh, that's right. There. You're on Patreon too. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, and for me, it was sort of this weird thing of I, I didn't want to set up a Patreon where I had a lot of um, rewards where I would be mailing stuff out or I would sure. either have to live stream or something because once convention season hits, it's just going to be murder. You're never going to be able to keep up with this stuff and then people are going to feel like you're taking advantage of them. But something where I can literally PDF a script that I've done, write a couple notes about what the what the process was like working on this project and toss it up. You know, People get to, to partake of it at whatever level they kind of want. That's awesome, man. No, I'm looking at it now, and uh, like I said, I think that's a great idea and a valuable resource. So, uh, yeah, jimsub.com, and uh, if if that's not enough and you want more, patreon.com slash jimsub. Cool. And, and yeah, keep it up, dude. Way to Thanks go. Thanks for the shout-out. That's very kind of you. Yeah, my, uh, you know, it's, my pleasure, dude. You know. Uh, that's very, very cool. Well, so We're uh, all in this together, dude. I know, yeah, you right? Know? Absolutely. When, um, when, when this big uh, project announcement uh, comes out in this, later in the summer uh, – and I won't have to tell you when it happens because you'll know. Okay. Um, uh, drop me a line. Absolutely, man. No, I'm looking forward to our next talk. Thanks, Jim. All right. Take care. Jim Zub, the wrap-up to Thunderbolts is out today. And uh, you can also uh, find Glitter Bomb at your better comic book stores or order it online. And I recommend that you do. Same goes for Wayward. And we're looking forward to uh, Jim's run on Uncanny Avengers coming up as well. And he figures into Secret Empire, as he says. So he's got a couple one-shots uh, coming out during Secret Empire. Great work from Jim Zub, and I'm happy to talk about it with Jim today on Word Balloon. It was all brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. There are some really cool uh, deals going on at InStock Trades. You can save 40% on select IDW titles. Uh, they also have an amazing warehouse that, uh, unfortunately, you know, due to shipping, sometimes books, you know, they'll get a crease in them or some nicks and dings, and they don't feel right about selling those books at full prices. Um, when they were based in Indiana, they would always have a big uh, weekend sale where they were like bargain basement prices on incredible books. And if you don't mind a wrinkle or uh, a little ding or a little, you know, notch or niche, uh, you know, in, in your book or in its spine or whatever, you can find a lot of great books at great prices. They're ma making those offers online. High discounts on damaged items at InStockTrades.com. But that's not all. You can also get Wonder Woman Earth One. Uh, trade Paperback, Volume 1, Grant Morrison and Yannick Paquette, uh, a controversial book. You wouldn't expect any less from uh, Grant Morrison. It's 50% off, just $8.49. How about Action Comics, Trade Paperback, Volume 2, uh, Welcome to the Planet. Dan Jurgens, Pat Zercher, uh, tremendous uh, run. And I, I would say the same thing about uh, Tomasi and Pat Leeson and Doug Monkey. 
I, I think the Superman uh, titles have never been in better hands as they are currently uh, for a very, very long time. But uh, Volume 2 is 50% off. It's just $7.49. You can get the Daredevil by Brubaker and Lark Omnibus, hardcover Volume 1. It's a big collection, 608 pages. Uh, good stuff, man, from uh, Michael Lark and Ed Brubaker. It's 45% off, just $55 at InStockTrades.com. We talked about a bunch of other books, and I suggest you do a search for yourself for the books you're looking for at great prices. You will find them at InStockTrades.com. Questions or comments about the show, reach me via email, john at wordballoon.com. Or you can ask me at Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is at John Wordballoon. Or uh, under Facebook, under my name, John Suntress, and the Word Balloon Network. Thanks a lot uh, for listening uh, to Word Balloon and uh, passing along uh, that you think Word Balloon is worth uh, other people's time and uh, getting other people to listen. I see the increases in the downloads, and it's because of uh, your word of mouth uh, via social media and literally telling somebody, hey, you should listen to this show. So uh, thanks. More great conversations still to come. We are not done with April. There's still lots more to come. Uh, C2E2 is this weekend. I will be there Friday and Sunday. Um, I've been able to get a part-time job in radio, and I'm doing some on-air stuff. And I I thank you uh, for your support uh, during this uh, time when I'm in between full-time jobs. But uh, thank you for uh, your patronage, your sponsorship, and uh, your attention. And I uh, believe me, I, I want to uh, keep doing Word Balloon and uh, doing it as best as I can. And I'm doing that with your help. Thank you very much, League of Word Balloon listeners and uh, the Word Balloon listening audience. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2017. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.